Opening program parameters. Player code established. Welcome to the program. A production of TheMetalRobot.com Nobody cares about the robot gimmick! Just start the fucking show already! Ugh. Humans are determined assholes. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. Initializing post-playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. Happy Father's Day to all the daddies who don't know their daddies yet. We're halfway through June, and I don't know about you, but here in the Great White North, it's getting to be less frosty and more scorching hot like the fires of the local orphanage. No one was home, I promise. I just realized how fucked that joke was. Anyways, it's hot out, so shows are not only back outdoors, but the beer somehow smells worse. On today's show that doesn't smell like beer's dirty asshole, Lindsay Schoolcraft and John Asher join me in a panel discussion about musicians and social media, Avant-Garde Act Box has an album that's due out soon, so let's sit down with him to discuss that. No news recap this week got really lazy, so sorry. But coming up in a few short moments, we'll take a look at that new Oni record, also Motionless in White, and other recent releases from the past two weeks of my accidental hiatus. All this and more, so let's not waste much more time and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay, and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. The Metal Robot Podcast, Tom McKay here. Here we go. It's time to get into this week's releases. Actually, that's a slight lie. I'm actually reviewing a couple of albums from the past couple of weeks because I was supposed to have episodes last week and the week before, but I didn't for some reason. But instead of leaving them out told the 10 second purge, I figured I'd include them here anyway. So hope you don't mind, but we're going to have at least one album from this week. If you have any albums you want me to talk about on future episodes of the podcast, send me an email tmckay at themetalrobot.com. That's T-M-C-K-A-Y at themetalrobot.com. Or reach out on socials, Facebook and Twitter at themetalrobot, Instagram at the.metalrobot. Be sure to use the hashtag metalrobotpodcast when you request them. Now, without further ado, let's take a look at what we've got. Alright, Motionless in White scoring the end of the world, though I should say if anybody is scoring the end of the world, it's going to be Yoko Ono in a 4th grade class playing the recorder. This is the band's follow-up to 2019's Disguise, which I wasn't too much of a fan of to be completely honest. To me, it didn't feel like Motionless in White, more like Motionless... It could have been better is what I'm trying to say. But what do I know? That album charted, so fuck me and my petty problems. But still, regardless, I was concerned with what we were going to get next. It did kind of feel like these guys were on a bit of a decline in recent years after Graveyard Shift. But with this new album, Steel Tool, I, that's what I'm calling it from now on, fuck you, I am happy to report that the decline has not only halted, I think this might be one of the better MIW albums in recent years. First off, this album is a metalcore album, but I'd be remiss to say that it wasn't purely metalcore. A lot of various styles can be found on here, from hardcore, industrial goth, and even post-grunge in a lot of places. I shit thee not, I was listening to songs like Sign of Life and Masterpiece, and was like, did Benjamin Burnley write these? What the hell? 
Not a bad thing either, I'm a big fan of Breaking Benjamin. I just thought it was a funny thing to hear a version of Breaking Benjamin if they decided to go full goth. It's a great bit of twist to the ear, I must say. Also, the collabs on this album are next level. Brian Garris of Knocked Loose tears his throat on Slaughterhouse, while Lindsay Schoolcraft coming up in a few short moments, by the way, adds a bit of operatic backing vocals on BFBTG, Corpse Nation, and Cyberhex. Caleb Shomo's vocals are a great hardcore addition to Red White Boom, no, seriously. And of course, Mick, let's be honest, you know me because of Doom, Gordon's synth work on the title track adds a new dimension to the already dense sound. The album is a treat from front to back, featuring sounds that anybody can, if not love, at least respect. Though it's not without its small-time faults, of course. The album does take a bit to get going with the opening track of Meltdown, but once you get into its groove, the rest of the album moves by fairly quickly. Also, there are some songs on this that I'd argue needed a bit more time to cook, but nothing overtly offensive. Songs like Werewolf, We Become the Night, and Burned at Both Ends 2 on first listen didn't sit as well as the rest, though it's mostly a nitpick from me. I think a huge disappointment, though, about this album is that there isn't a song about necrophilia on this one. I wanted Dennis Fuck Part 3, dammit! When will I get noticed? <laughs> Please, please don't take that out of context. Okay, but for real, I do know that there are going to be some people who will point out the lyric writing, and yeah, I kind of agree, the tongue-in-cheek nature of some of the dad puns can get a bit cringe when reading them out loud without some loud metal playing over it, but A, I also know it's part of the charm, and they're obviously not meant to be taken seriously. This is motionless and white, not fucking queen, so calm down. But B, they also do have some lyrics that do hit harder than you'd expect. For every one or two I kiss your apocalypse, you get a line like as I play roulette with a broken gun that really fucks up your night. But overall, Steel Toil is a fucking beast of an album. A look at what the band has done and where they've been going with their sound over the nearly two decades of this band. I don't think this is the best album of all time or even the best in their catalog, but it is so nice to see the band regaining their footing again. 13 and a half out of 15, if you want a reason to think we'll be kissing some apocalypse, my brain had an aneurysm trying to say that, then this is one you don't want to miss out on. Oni's latest release, Loathing Light. Some Canadian metal is exactly what we need here, but also some Canadian metal core gen. Wait, why is everyone leaving? Wait, don't go! I made cupcakes! Okay, fine. Look, I'll spoil my thoughts right now. Loathing Light is a pretty decent album overall. Not great, but not horrible either. From the start of The Lie, you already get a sense of how intense this metalcore can get, and that intensity does continue into songs like Secrets, with two awesome cameos from Iggy Pop and Randy Blythe. Heart to Stone does dive further into that melodic metal sound that you can see on rock radio, but then we dive headfirst into more intense, almost punk-like energy with Battery Tomb. I have to give major props in that regard to the man behind most of this, Jake Oni. As far as I know, he's the guy who's been behind most of the songwriting for this album and the last album, Iron Shore, along with their EP, and he's holding nothing back here either. With Oni being metalcore, though, as expected, there will be a few things that some people are not going to like. While I think the tech death influence in some of these parts are awesome to add to the prog metalcore genre tag on the metal archives, the metalcore takes the forefront in a lot of the songs on this album, not just in the instrumentation, but also in the lyrics. 
No offense to our Oni boy here, but a poet he is not. The immediate red flag that comes to mind is, quote, these paper cuts dig our graves from Against My Sins. I was doing dishes when I heard that, and I was laughing so hard, I fell to the ground while holding a plate. Damn near shattered the fucking thing, too. Although I did a few moments ago give a pass to I Kiss Your Apocalypse, so maybe I shouldn't be talking shit? The one part I can talk shit about, War Ender. Jesus, wearing an Irish top hat on St. Patrick's Day, Christ. What made you think it was a good idea to work with City Morgue? I mean, I know nothing about City Morgue outside of this song, but if this is the only thing I have to base my knowledge off them, I not only question the conscious being of City Morgue, but the sanity of Jake Oni himself. And I quote one of these actual lyrics from the song, Bitches call me Chico, hit him with my sling slong, her titties like torpedoes, I fuck her like I'm King Kong. I have heard more sound bars written by an AI text generator and read by a dyslexic. Anybody who read all that and thought it just had to be on the album needs to be checked into Arkham post haste. Ugh, but you know what? That's one terrible please erase all evidence of it song alongside nine pretty decent songs. It's not an album that's going to set the world on fire, but I think Oni isn't really trying to. Once again, a few blemishes overall, a couple of high points, but nothing overall to write home about. 11 out of 15, it's a good metalcore album, you can do worse than this, though I would never forget that you can, in fact, do better. Holy shit, that drained my nuts. Creator Hate Uber Alas, the 15th studio album from the German thrash legends, and also the first one in five years, which isn't that significant in most cases, but given that creator albums usually don't take that long to come out, fans were probably ready to riot. But now it's here, so what is to be expected of this new album? Is it worth the wait for creator fans? Well, you tell me. Did the little snippet in the beginning cause you facial meltitis? Exactly my point. Holy shit, where do I even start? This album front to back is pulsing and dense. I'm usually not a thrash metal fan, but I'm not sure I've ever felt my brain swell and explode before my face gets melted before, and this album managed to do just that. Hate Uber Alice doesn't know what a break is. Each song perfectly leads into the other and is a never-ending assault for the entire time. The vocals are teeth-cutting throughout, especially on songs like the title track, Become Immortal, the guitars are thick and shredding on Killer of Jesus, the bass work works your subwoofer on the title track and Demonic Future, and the drums are fucking relentless in their assault on the listener. And on the kit too, seriously, is that thing okay? All members are firing on all cylinders, and there's no moment to rest for the band. Or for us either. I haven't slept in five days. This is a great album. It is still a thrash metal album front to back, so if you've already unsubscribed from Bullet Belt and Frizzy Hair, then you're looking at the wrong place. But for everyone else, 14 out of 15, one of the best thrash metal albums I've heard all year and a strong contender for the album of the year list. If this year is any better, then I might explode. My God, play that chorus one more time. Okay, so this one was from the start of my entire time off. Again, I am so sorry. Red-Handed Denial, I'd Rather Be Asleep came out a few weeks back. I even teased that I was going to review this album on the podcast. I'm sure you know by now who these guys are. If you don't, you at least know their vocalist, Lauren Babick. 
been on the rise on YouTube for a while now with her vocal covers, but now her and her band have a new album, a sophomore album, I believe. First thing you notice, this is, once again, on this podcast, another metalcore album. I swear I did not intentionally have three of the same genre on here. It kind of just happened that way. But I think what I like about this particular metalcore is that they actually lean further into the prog gent kind of metalcore world with very tasty riffs and leads, but also some really amazing vocals and not dumbest shit lyrics. I'm looking specifically at you, Oni. Get better. One of the comparisons I've made over the years of RHD's music has been if Periphery toned down on the proggy weird shit and were Canadian. I mean, that comparison isn't unwarranted either. Lauren's vocal style has a lot of similarities to that of Spencer Zatello. And as a Periphery fan who can't wait for that new album, hashtag Periphery V, I'm salivating at the mouth, boys, I have no problems with that comparison at all. And that does lend itself into the instrumentation as as well. While this is way more metalcore than periphery, the musicianship between all members is astounding. On top of the sweet guitar melodies and the leads, the rhythmic interest is what helps reel you into the various riffs and breakdowns throughout. The drums as well are holding together that rhythm extremely well and along with that bass. I'm not sure how much of all of that is production tricks, but the instrumentation feels so in sync with each other, I would not be surprised if Tyson Dang, Chris Mifsud, and Dominic DeCau, the other members, were actually just names given to various Pro Tools instruments made sentient. That can sound like a bad thing, but actually it works pretty well here. Of course, the metalcore label is making some of you slightly uneasy, or you've already turned off the podcast, which, rude. In that case, now that it's just the cool kids here, let me remind you that metalcore is a decent genre, a good genre even, when done right. Besides, in some cases, the style lends itself to cool moments. Like, for example, in this album, the Doom soundtrack feel of Father Said really caught me off guard. It was kind of standard proggy metalcore up until that moment when the age string came in and shook my brain. My eyes were literally vibrating. I went blind and pushed a stroller into oncoming traffic by accident. Don't worry, it didn't have any human babies inside. Unfortunate emphasis on the human. Man, dog moms are weird. Bottom line, I enjoyed this album. I know metalcore isn't going to be for everybody, but if you don't give these guys a chance because of the label, then you are doing your ears a disservice. Seriously, 14 and a half out of 15, go check it out. This album has a lot of great treats and you need to hear it. And that's it for reviews. Like I said earlier, send your emails to tmckay at themetalrobot.com or reach out on my socials for any albums you would like covered on the podcast or on the main YouTube show. Don't go anywhere. Lindsay Schoolcraft, John Asher. What do these two have in common? They're talking with me about musicians and social media in a panel discussion coming up right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. Ever wanted to take Metal Robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Dead? I charged this last night! For fuck's sakes! Ah! While we can't solve a bad phone battery, you can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. If you could be any cereal box character... What about that tiger dude? I was gonna say the same thing, actually. <laughs> MRP Throwbacks, only on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. 15 plus artists, multiple cultures, multiple languages, one almost unpronounceable name. What the fuck does it say? It's pronounced homiusius. How? There's 20 O's. It's Latin. What'd you expect? The ultimate collaboration project of 2022. 
Omi Yushis, a symphonic, death, blackened, thrashing, grooving core fest. What genres? You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Tom McKay here. As always, I'm not sure why I said that at all. Not sure who else would be hosting if I wasn't here, but I can only imagine it would be a completely different podcast if I wasn't here. And just with my luck, it's when I stop hosting that the podcast decides to go viral on the socials. That'll be the fucking day. But speaking of socials, social media and musicians, is there pressure to be on it as a musician? Is it a form of good marketing or is it an anchor artists just have to deal with? These are the questions thanks to a couple of viral tweets from Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park, as well as a TikTok from pop singer Halsey talking about how her label wouldn't release her song unless she got a number of views on TikTok. Joining me to discuss this is a small panel on the podcast. First up, we have Lindsay Schoolcraft, Juno-nominated singer-songwriter. She's also been on the most recent Motionless and White album, which we discussed earlier on this show. You know who she is by now. She's actually been on this show multiple times, more times than I can count right now, honestly. Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks for That's asking. Good. And we are, we do have John Asher here. He's currently in the waiting room because I guess he had uh, something going on in the real world. Yes. I don't know why things in us. the real world happen. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, so he may be joining us soon enough so we can get the PR perspective because John Asher, if you are not aware, he's been on the podcast before. He is uh, the, uh, he is the, creator of Asher Media Relations, a great, great PR company. Lindsay, first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast uh, to talk about this. How much of this situation do you know about? Um, I know about what Mike Shinoda posted, and I have quite a bit to say about that because I can understand why he said it and where he's coming from. And then also about Halsey, how they're taking her song. They won't let her release it. They're testing it on mm. TikTok to see if it goes viral first before she is given the green light. That was my understanding. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm very in tuned on all of that. Yeah. So for those who aren't aware about this, uh, there's a couple posts from Mike Shinoda specifically. I don't remember if this was before or after uh, Halsey's post after on TikTok. Halsey. You think it was after? I think I could. Okay. Be wrong. Well, on Twitter, uh, on this is this happened actually not too long on May 23rd. Uh, Mike Shinoda posted a thread of tweets. A lot of them I'm talking about the situation. So starting off with the first one, I'm tired of hearing musicians be told they're not investing enough energy in social media content. Every artist I talk to right now has this feeling. They say they're spending way too much time making little videos to support their careers, but wish they could spend more time making music and playing music. How is a young artist expected to put in enough time to get uh, great at their craft when they need to feed all these content channels. The time they spent generating mind-numbing content might have been at the expense of the best song they never wrote. Now, that is, Amen. on its own, I think, pretty explanatory of the entire situation, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, social media is just a tool, and we do have to develop, like, healthier relationships mm -hmm. with it. And I do have methods, like, on how I deal with it. But, yeah, because so. you're pretty active on social media. Yeah. Like to quickly give you a background, I've been doing social media for 10 years and I'm actually really burned out right now. I'm really mm -hmm. tired. I'm sick of it. I just want to take some time off. And I think that some artists don't understand that we go into seasons. There's rest seasons. It can be three months to nine months. Um, you can walk away from social media and come back. Like it's not like, you know, like if you lose followers and they, they, they're not really your fans in the first place, let them go. Um, and then there's creative seasons um, and then there's promotional seasons and business seasons and traveling and touring seasons, you know, live music seasons. So um, I don't think that 
that people understand this. Like you don't have to be on social media all the time. You can actually down the size of what you're putting out there. But I understand what Mike is saying. Um, him and I are around the same age and we grew up in the same generation. And I spent like the first five years of my career learning my instruments and working on songwriting and performing in bands and learning from my mistakes. So Hey, John, I'm glad you finally made it. Yeah, so while, while, while um, Lindsay was giving that answer, John Asher finally connected. Uh, John Asher, of course, of Asher Media Relations. He's been on the podcast before. John, how are you doing? Great. That is good to hear. I'm glad you managed to join us. So we got, we kind of got, I got a bit excited. We started talking about this without you, but uh, to, uh, you already know, <laughs> to get up to speed, how much do you know about the situation with Mike Shinoda and Halsey? Sounds like he's being a big baby. Yo, really? <laughs> okay. That is a differing opinion, I think. So let's get yeah. into it. <laughs> well, you know, that's how I look at it. Like your fucking product, you got to put yourself out there. Simple as that. That's how I break it down. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, he's an established artist, so he might have a mindset like, I don't need to do this shit no more to please the fans, you know? Mm -hmm. But the way I read into it was he was just like, takes away from our artistry. And I, I think, you know, social media is part of the marketing, the part of the whole marketing plan these days, right? It's part of it. It's one, one part, part in the machine. So to be like, oh, this is so much out of my time to do this. Right. right. Uh, to be focusing on my music. No, it's a tool to get your music out there still. So stop complaining. Fuck. What do you want? This is the way it goes. This is the way it is. Uh, maybe he maybe he was maybe there's more to it that they were requesting. Maybe too much. I could I could get that. Right. There's too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, there's also like the, of course, the Halsey situation where her song was like, was not the record label would not release it uh, and for whatever reason, uh, because of this TikTok thing. I still am kind of fuzzy on the whole situation with yeah, that. Me, but, but like, fuck, you're on a label. Mm -hmm. I just said that earlier. Yeah. You signed. You signed. Yeah. Don't. You're fucking artists. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not me. I have immunity, John, and you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, look, these people, in my opinion, these are larger artists and they've hit the jackpot. They got money behind them and shit. So just you got to go with the punches and shit of the way the industry is. This is where the, the message probably got a little uh, interrupted. Because nobody knows the full story. Right. Like, we see what they want us to see. We read what they want us to read. There could be more behind the scenes. But to me, it just sounds like, boo-hoo, oh, I got to take this out of my time to do something. That's how I read into it. They're just complaining that, you know, social media takes too much out of their artistry and they're writing their music. But that's, I don't know, a smart person writes their music when they write their music and another. And when you set aside time to do your social media. So I don't know. There, there's like, yeah, the news story is just a little bit weak on like some stuff. Well, like I was saying before, there's seasons to your career and there is times where you have to take off time to write. I'm taking off the next few weeks to finish my next album. Am I going to mm -hmm. be on social media that much? Probably not. But um, it, like John was saying, it is part of the entertainment process. If you are an entertainer, it's part of your brand and the full concept and it's part of the full package. Like the way it's going now is what was it 30 years ago? It was all TV. And now it's like, we are our own media outlets. We are the TV show. 
Like that's, right. that's what it is. Yeah, it's Stewie from Mad TV. Look at me. Look at me. Look what I can do. <laughs> Yo, MTV Crips from my mom's house. <laughs> but no, Am I the only one who's getting none of that? But okay. <laughs> yeah, you're too young for us. <laughs> I, I, I'm a baby. Ignore me. <laughs> um, but like, it's part of the cycle now, right? Yeah. It's part mm. of the whole package. You can be an artist without social media. Guess what? Nobody's going to fucking hear you. That's well, how. Mm. That's, the, that's the thing. And I'm, I've been coaching artists for a while now. And I do get these younger artists who, you know, will have a one-time call because they've got a lot to work on and a lot to think about. And I give them like a two to three year plan. And I always say like, listen, social media is going to change. It's great to understand some business concepts. Um, but over the next three years, I really think that you should just focus on becoming a musician and working on your craft and your art and being, you know, a performer. And then in three years, when you're ready and you have the product, then you can key, you, you can key into whatever is supposed to, you know, whatever's going viral, wherever you get the most traction. And then you can promote your work that way. Because if these young artists, like, you know, in their late teens and early twenties, they, they think that they already have to hop onto social media and start cranking up right. the content, but they don't have any music. They haven't even like gotten good at their craft. It's like, what's the point in people, like, if you think of it as a product, which unfortunately in business, we have to, what's the point of putting your product out there if it's not even ready yet? I don't give a shit about your company if I can't buy soap. Why are you trying to sell me soap when you don't have any soap to sell? So that's kind of the way I look at it. I tell them, listen, like, become the best you can at, you know, what you want to do and then get your music ready. And then from there, figure out what is the, the medium in which you need to translate this and then do it then. But if you think like, from jump at 18, you got to start building numbers and putting your face and music out there. And you can't even like scream or write a song. Like, don't, don't do it. I think what Mike was getting at is these kids are feeling pressure too soon to start becoming like a celebrity when they're not even really focusing on like the most important thing that needs to come first, which is the music. Yeah. The thought process. Yeah. From what I understand, um, do you think maybe those guys were, uh, were thinking like, I need to be an influencer. I need to be the next Charlie D'Amelio before I start putting out. Do you think that's their thought process here? Yeah. Like, like an instant celebrity. And then, okay, I'm so famous now Then I can hire the whole team around me. Like they'll send me a producer and a songwriter and a marketing team and a manager. I mean, Mm -hmm. why would like, I've, I've been not, I'm not like a list or anything, but it's like famous shit. It's like, you can be famous and broke. You can be famous and miserable. Why not do a slow build and build a brand that you believe in over time? Like, you know, and, and do the work. Like if they like going viral is just a, it's a flash in the pan. And Mm -hmm. like, if anyone's like feeding to these kids, like you need to blow up and be viral and be famous to be anything that's stupid. There are other ways you can attain uh, yeah. success and be a sustainable artist. Yeah. And it's, and uh, like, relating it, re- wow. Relating <laughs> this to metal. I can't speak. This is my job. Uh, relating this back to metal somehow, uh, because I, I know with metal heads, there are very few actually who are more, uh, active on social media. Like Lindsay, uh, is when you actually want to be, you are pretty active on pretty much all social media. As far as I know, you're very active on Twitter. You have, have posts on Facebook, both your personal and the main Facebook. And, uh, well, I can't, are you on TikTok by chance? I've, I've been trying it out, but my management has told me, don't worry about that now until your album's ready. I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole, but good for you. Um, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I know, I know you are pretty kind of active on Instagram, but like mm-hmm. it, like for most people, it's usually just like, 
I maybe I'll post, maybe I won't. That's mostly what I'm seeing in metal, uh, especially with a lot of metal bands. But you and quite a few others are mostly pretty active on social media when it comes to the metal world. Do you think the pressures of, uh, and I, I will have a question for you, John, as well. If you want, you can chime in on this one. Do you think there's the pressure in metal to stay active on social media in this like fast acting world? No, because metal fans are extremely loyal. I've had no issues. I haven't been posting as much and I'm still getting, my numbers are still growing and people are still active. I'm never, I don't come from a fear or lack thereof mindset. I'm always like, you know, woo, thrive in, like I have plenty. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and they understand that the music needs to get done. So I only post like two, two to three times a week and it comes very organically, but I don't feel the pressure anymore. And could I up, could I up my game? Could I up my marketing? Absolutely. We all can. But right now it's like, I'm in a creative season. So guess what? The music is going to come first. But in metal, the fans are very dedicated once you have them. So I never worry about it. And John, what about you? Do you feel that pressure sometimes? Because I know you don't actually post that often. You know what? Maybe for the only genre of metalcore, they're the only ones that feel like are pressured to do shit. Really? Yeah. (laughs) The tweens. I figured it would have been brutal slamming Uh, black metal. I don't know. The black metal dudes are the dudes who come to a publicist and say, hey, we want this to go out, but we don't want it. We don't want any publicity. Yeah. (laughs) I want you to make it viral without making it viral. Can you do that? Yeah. But no, I don't think there's a pressure, but I think they go in more and more bands are going in with their plans of realizing like social media is it's direct relation to, to your fans and building the fan base too. It's like, do we need this media outlet? Yes. But could we still reach fans without them? Yes. You know, like you can grow your fan base. Basically to me, social media is just your own personal, like uh, fan club Mm -hmm. following you around in your pocket. Like, Hey, I wanted my fan club to know this today. Uh, I ate a banana. It was delicious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's kind of like what social media is to me, yeah. but it's just, you, you, you can share every, your thoughts and your music with them directly. Should it be planned? I believe some of it should be planned and some of it should just be natural. Be yourself. Cause sometimes planned stuff doesn't look like legit, right? You want to be genuine mm-hmm. on your social media. Right. But I think that's where most of the, of the controversy is coming from where they, they feel pressured to not only post every day, but in some places it's in their contracts with record labels. So at this point, I got to ask then uh, to bring, bring it back to Lindsay here. Cause Lindsay, when you were with cradle, was there a, do you know if there was a social media contract? clause in the contract with them <laughs> was there <laughs> no there was like that band was pretty willy-nilly like i never saw any contracts i didn't have a contract i was allowed to do what like it was it was great i could do whatever the heck i wanted which really worked to my advantage i became my own little like gothic metal influencer still am but like not, yeah. <laughs> not as much but uh, yeah, I, like, I was about to say it's like what do you it's like what do you mean you were able to you still <laughs> yeah still an internet personality before musician derp um but anyways so Um, no, it was more of, um, it it had to do with nuclear blast records, but they did have a plan in regards to like how they were promoting it, uh, and putting it out there. But, um, I've looked at a few record deals recently and, um, it's more like you need, like it's between you and your marketing manager and your actual manager to do these things, you know, like chime in. I've never seen in contracts, anything for social media. They just chime in when you're making the marketing plan stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just chimes in okay let's see what we can do with the social media and how we can engage 
the followers and create new followers and that's it and drive yeah. them to the sales links you know that's always the key thing too you got to drive them to something uh follow them yeah right the, the record deal is more like a this is what we're going to do with you. This is how much we're going to pay you. And this is how much of the cut we're going to take when the money comes back of what. So you've never ended up seeing in any kind of contract scenario where there's a social media clause in there. I don't think maybe so. Maybe it's not a thing for the metal world. Maybe it's for the pop guys. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because yeah. again, that's goes, goes back to the whole Halsey thing where she like, there's like, I guess there was something in her contract where she had to get that post on TikTok a certain amount of times or something like that. It could be I, the management deal too. Like the manager has right of attorney. Maybe. That might be because it's a major deal, right? Or she's just being bitchy about it. <laughs> I do it. There he she's, is. She's been known to be a loose cannon. There, yeah. yeah. She could so. have had the, what I call the, you know, when artists get impatient and they're like, they finish a song and then the next day they want it out kind of thing. You know what I mean? And, Maybe that's how she's starting to feel. She's feeling too anxious, right? And she's like, fuck mm-hmm. this. I just want to get this out, you know? And, yeah. yeah. She's probably just upset that she has to wait a little bit a little bit longer, which is fair. It sounds like privileged yeah. artists, you know, they, they, I give them their credit. They worked hard. They're established, et cetera. So, but like, fuck, what are you complaining about? You're, you're one of the lucky few that's able to tour, make a living, got the record deal. You know, mm-hmm. you're doing successful. You're doing, you know, well, probably hundreds of thousand artists want that exact same thing right now. Probably just grumpy. She got left out of the plan and the marketing plan. Like, you never know. There's a pro- there's probably a lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But I don't think the most mature thing to do is to take it to social media. Sometimes right. you got to leave the artist out of the marketing plan because they're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> True. No, I've hold, been there. Wait, hold on. He might, he, he, might, he might be onto something there. Hold on. <laughs> just, I'm just being real. That's from experience. I, I <laughs> think sometimes the artist shouldn't interfere. Let's do our thing. Yeah, let the pros do what they're good at. Yeah, you don't need to like blow up my phone every five minutes with ideas and do this and do that. Hey, um, that's it. <laughs> but like the whole thing is just, you know, artists should be involved in the marketing and stuff, but like to a limit, maybe sometimes. It all depends. It's a case by case. It's a case by yeah. case. Very true. Yeah, for this whole scenario, I don't know. We're probably missing some more to the story, but from like face value, it just sounds to me like fucking spoiled, spoiled like artistry, just making a stink. Yeah, yeah. But that's mostly like in the pop world. I know uh, Mike Shinoda, I guess, can kind of bleed into the metal world as well, given his his yeah, work with uh, Linkin Park. Lincoln. Uh, yeah, you know his his minor contribution to Linker, Linkin Park. I mean, he's tiny. Oh, no, he's huge. This is not. Yeah, not I swear, huge. Linkin Park fans, do not kill me, please. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Mike Shinoda uh, is Linkin Park in reality. Mike Shinoda yeah. is Linkin Park. Yeah. Yeah. Now he is. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just poorly communicated. I think honestly, mm-hmm. like he was upset and he rage tweeted, but like. I think what he's trying to say is to these younger artists, like, don't feel this pressure. You know what I mean? Like, right, work yeah. on your music, work on your craft, which I tell young artists to do all the time. I get it. It was more a punk fuck you uh, probably reaction. And I'm totally mm-hmm. not, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't believe you should be telling the artists when and how completely. But like, I'm talking industry. I'm like, here's our plan. And this is what we want to do. You got, we suggest you do this. Maybe they were like getting down to the nitty gritty, like it's got to be at this specific time on this specific date and you have to use these specific words because 
they work psychologically better than using this and this and this colors too uh because there's better reaction with these different colors and those colors on your posts Uh, yeah you want to break it down to the nitty-gritty of the marketing psychology yeah and the algorithms yeah before we continue with this discussion i'm actually recording this bit the next day uh i one thing that i wish we actually got into because i don't think any of us really remembered this specific detail, at least I didn't, it never got brought up again, but apparently the Halsey situation is a lot more complicated than just, oh, she was impatient and the record label had a set plan for her release. Apparently, if we are to believe what Halsey is saying, apparently they were just going to block the release entirely until she got a certain amount of hits on TikTok. That was where the controversy was coming from. And I wish, I wish, I wish we got into that because I'm sure there would have been a bigger discussion about whether record labels should be doing that. Uh, they have the rights to it, of course, if they own the masters, but whether they should be doing that, if that's even a smart idea, do they understand social media, etc., etc. It's a whole thing. I wish we got into that. If we do decide to do this again, and I would love to get into this again with either our panelists, Lindsay and John, or even anybody else who has a strong opinion about this. I would love to get into this again. So if that, if we do do this topic again, I would love to get into that specific uh, part of the discussion. Now let's get back into the podcast. The other thing that so many timid little creatives are so scared of is doing the business stuff, but it's like, I don't think they realize when they study and then come to the other side, your creativity is just as powerful and useful in Mm. marketing and business as it is in your own music. And they need to just stop being so scared. Like, I honestly think like they need a positive push and encouragement into that direction because it's just part of it. And it's like, it's okay. If you just want to make music all day, then go become a producer or a ghostwriter. This isn't the grind for you. And they just need to understand that. Uh, John, what about you? I completely agree with everything Lindsay said. Okay. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Glad this panel is able to come back and be like, "Yay, we're all we're all unison now." Yeah. All right. No, but it's the truth. So, uh, so we got about uh, we got about maybe thirty seconds here. So let's let's get into the final thing here. What should like the number one thing that every new artist should think about when it comes to social media? Jesus, <laughs> I'm bringing on the hard questions. Uh, don't post when you're angry, drunk or depressed. Oh God. Um, That's just a lesson in general. Like whether it doesn't matter if you're an influencer or not, get, get your technology away from you. Yeah. You'll, you might cancel yourself. You might say something you regret. You might start a fight that you don't want. Um, also just, um, you need to learn the business and you need to learn the industry and you need to make time for that when you're ready to release your music. Be smart. Don't let all that hard work on your art go to waste because you have a shitty mindset about things. Yeah. <laughs> Carefully plan it too. Like don't like just post because you're posting. Plan it out. Don't don't uh, get involved with politics. Don't also super hyper post the same thing, you know, <sighs> five minutes on your socials. Yeah. Bands too, or uh, <laughs> just just an entire Twitter feed up. I took a shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just educating education is the key, and a lot of artists will never do that, and that's why they fall behind. The ones mm-hmm. who succeed yeah. are the ones who get educated and follow the leads and, and plan. Yeah, they're not in a rush. Take their time. I've always been a firm believer of grassroots, and just mm-hmm. you gotta build it like. 
be super successful in the music industry and social media is not your social media is just a tool it's not your ticket or your enemy yeah it's it's just a communications tool to reach people that's how i've always seen it um and you you want to use it to your benefit that's all and you grow it do it but use it wisely yeah with purpose definitely marketing wise you could be like uh is this gonna be clickbait how can we clickbait our fans that's it. I mean, to be fair, like what, like YouTubers has been doing that for years now. So <laughs> we kind of got to yeah. jump on that, but uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good way to look yeah. at it. Uh, Lindsay, John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, guys. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the invite. That was Lindsay Schoolcraft and John Asher of Asher Media Relations. A lot of great discussions all around on this topic. Uh, But one thing I wish we got further into in this roundtable, we kind of ran out of time, but I wish we got further into the discussion of forcing trends with your music, which is something that has been going on in recent days. And that seems to mostly be the case with labels wanting to try to manufacture a trend or a viral TikTok, mostly in the pop realm. And of course, you know, John was talking about these guys guys are big names, you know, they have, you know, they're in a position where many of us wish we could be in. Why are they complaining about it? And, you know, I get that. Mike Shinoda is of Linkin Park, one of the biggest rock bands on the planet, and Halsey is Halsey. So I get why that's a popular opinion in the metal world, especially. I kind of have the same mentality as well, but I think my concern and the concern of other people as well, when it comes to this kind of pressure on musicians to go viral or to be active. Uh, The concern is that it's being put on by these labels and PR companies for a reason that might not actually work as well. Again, manufacturing trends, manufacturing virality. And this is something that's mostly happening in the pop realm uh, with bigger named artists. I'm worried that eventually this might, this trend in the pop industry, the pop music industry might spill over to the entire music industry, including the smaller artists who might need to be on socials more often and maybe don't have the kind of power to be able to go viral with their songs or their accounts. I hope to get these guys on again to talk more about this. Again, Lindsay Schoolcraft, John Asher, or even get more opinions from more people. So if you're a musician, you work at a label, or you work in PR, and you want to talk more about this on the show, reach out to Team McKay at TheMetalRobot.com, and we could talk about this because this is both a fascinating and also slightly concerning discussion about the present and future of not only uh, the metal music industry, but the music industry altogether. Don't go anywhere. Box has a new album due out soon, so we're going to sit down with him to talk all about it right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. Looking to stay up to date on all things Metal Robot? No, not really. What? Why? I don't listen to metal. How are you listening to this podcast? I thought it was Joe Rogan. We're going to pretend he didn't say that. Follow the show wherever you tread on social media. Facebook and Twitter. At The Metal Robot. Instagram. At The Dot Metal Robot. You can even join the Metal Robot Discord server. We have fun there. Links to all of that and more in the description of this podcast. Follow now. Metal addicts call it symbiosis between extreme metal and classical music. Cult Metal Flick says cinematic landscapes collide with atmosphere. Tom McKay says, it's the reason my veins are filled with caffeine. Wait, what? I can't help it! I'd rather write awesome metal than sleep! Give me a fucking ambient, please! 
Call to the Demon Sultan is out now on all streaming platforms. And while you're at it, pick up some cool merch by going to metalrobotreviews.creatorspring.com or check the links in the podcast description. Stream now. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got one more thing for you tonight, and I think you're going to love this one. My next guest is Andrew Stromstad. He has a new album coming out with his avant-garde project, Box. The album is Cherry Blossoms at Night, which coincidentally is the way my boss smell after a Thai massage. If that's not a way to describe an album, then I don't know what is. This album is due out July 29th of this year, and I sat down with the man behind the new ball smell to talk more about the album, inspiration for it, trying to piss off metalheads with his music, and so much more. So here we go. This is Andrew Strumstead of Box, part one. Hello, how are you doing, good sir? Pretty, uh, pretty, you know... <laughs> Okay. It's the hangover, okay. isn't it? Like, is that, is that what's... <laughs> Wait, excuse me, what? What are you talking about, man? Yeah. Don't bring my personal details into this, dude. Yes. <laughs> we were actually, yeah, because we were talking off the air out there, and you are like, you mentioned, yeah, it's like still... Just let, hey, you know what? It all happens, man. It all happens. Well, either way, thank you so much for coming to the show. I appreciate yeah, you coming here, uh, regardless of whatever the hell's going on with uh, the hangover stuff. So uh, aside from that, you know, uh, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, so before we even get started with uh, everything else, just give me a quick introduction. Like, who are you? Like, wh what what do you do? And uh, all that good stuff. Uh, my name is Andy. I have a project called Box with the record coming out in July. And I guess I'm just like a one man band. And I do my music videos in my room here so yeah there we are hello this is where the oh you got, got the entire right. setup there and everything yeah yeah dude uh so how did this project begin um probably like five years ago well actually now some of these songs are pretty old i i was trying to figure out how to write full songs like 10 years ago and i was having a hard time finishing shit and um i must have rewrote this song like 10 fucking times and then it I was like, oh, I'm going to introduce a chorus pedal into this. It's like, oh, okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. And uh, once the chorus pedal came in, I was like, let's make a thing out of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what it is now. Yeah, just like character-driven, story-driven uh, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. And was this for the entire album, or, or was this for like one specific song that all of a sudden like it sparked? Uh, yeah, I think it just sparked after I heard that that beautiful reverb and chorus sound put together, you know, started like listening to more goth and playing in goth bands and stuff. And it just all made sense after that. Now and this I'm, was like, about really five deep. years ago. You said, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm extremely deep, <laughs> like, emotionally deep. I don't know if you could tell over the, over the phone there in the, yeah. <laughs> the camera, you know, I'm definitely getting those vibes. Thoughts, yeah. Man. It's like, dude, it's just like, Oh God, I can't handle it. I hope you can handle it. <laughs> uh, I will do, I, I will manage during this time. Okay. Well, I just, yeah. Thank you for putting up with that. The steep. Of course, of course. <laughs> so yeah. So this was five years ago. And since then you, uh, you've been continuing to write uh, how many songs were starting out those like five years ago. How many of these are old? How many of these are new? Um, like for this current record? Yeah. Um, I'd say the oldest song is probably from like 2012 and got like three different rewrites over the past 10 years. Not, it didn't take 10 years to do it. It just kind of like took some it's time. It was like you know, sitting, sitting on your hard drive, basically sitting on my heart, dude. Yeah. 
And, um, oh, you said a hard drive, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure it was sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been sitting here for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> so douchey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all in my heart it's that's where yeah. it's been lying it's been festering oh, for that <laughs> oh pardon moi uh, <laughs> yeah i mean there's that's there's like a song it's like 10 years old and there's a there's a song i did like uh like in december you know so you know you can't put a time limit on on art dude you can't put a time limit no on art. of course not you know what i mean dude can i guess which one's the oldest which one which one is it mm, i'm guessing is it uh, the title track? Or that? T- title? I don't have any songs in there called title. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Ch- Cherry Blossoms at Night, the title track. Oh, of the album. Duh. Uh, no, that's, that's like, uh, that song's almost four years old at this point. Oh, oh God. Okay. Yeah. Life so, Taker? Wait, did you listen to the, no, Life Taker's from last summer. Mm, cause I'm really thinking here. Cause I, cause I just, uh, I, I was, before we got in here, I was listening to the album to get an idea of uh, like how it sounds and maybe even be able to get and ace this quiz, which apparently I'm failing right now. Um, <laughs> hmm, was it? I have to say, it? this is the most embarrassing interview I have ever been a part of. <laughs> oh, yeah. Behalf, Why is that? <laughs> on your behalf, sir. This is. Yeah, this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, don't worry. Talk with hey. my PR and they'll be having a talk with your PR. And, uh, oh, I'm sure that'll be great. That'll be a great yeah. talk. I want to talk to you about the influences here. You were mentioning Goth a second ago, uh, but I, I want to talk influences mostly because I, I've listened to that upcoming album, Cherry Blossoms at Night, more times than I can actually count because I've just listened to it just now, but I've been listening to it uh, as well, like since this interview was scheduled. Um, and I, I cannot seem to figure out like what some of the main inspirations were. There's a lot of takes from various corners of the metal world, obviously like thrash, there's a bit of black metal in there. Um, but would you say there is any sort of core few influences that you could point to uh, that helped you make the music? Mm. <clears throat> I'm a total scene tourist, dude. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, I go to fucking basement teenager punk shows and I go to metal shows and uh, I, I don't sit anywhere one place when it comes to enjoying and appreciating music, I think that's silly <laughs> to just be into like really pinpointed stuff. That's not, that's not artistic, right? No, of course not. Yeah. And, um, God, I sound like a fucking douchebag saying that shit. Sucks, <laughs> God, I hate it. Um, so, so it's not just thrash metal. Oh, <laughs> such a poser. <laughs> Dude, it's not like, there's literally no thrash on this record, dude. Like, <laughs> oh, zero out of ten. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't <You> know, count. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking first song, dude. That's like, uh, I really like Immolation a lot. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my Immolation song, even though it's not very uh, Immolation esque. They're so weird. And then like the second song is like kind of like I-, I hate to say it, but fucking Ramstein and KMFDM. Mm-hmm. Mixed with, uh, I don't know, fucking, uh, uh, when I do vocals, I like to think about like Georgian folk music that mm. for some reason that just kind of, that's what I like my voice to sound like when there's like a lots of, lots of voices happening at once. And then, uh, I like the Melvins a lot, you know, and shit. I like synth pop. 
I like synth pop with choruses and I like fucking pop music, dude. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to like, uh, I just rediscovered Swing Out Sister. <laughs> yeah. is a really, do you remember that band? Oh God, not much, but I know exactly they're, what you're talking about. <laughs> they're incredible. It's like, it's like really uh, British sounding uh, 80s. Uh, what's her name? Sade, Slade, or not Slade, Sade, the, um, the singer. It's like the British version of that. And okay. It's really, uh, I like that crisp 80s production a lot. Mm-hmm. With the, the fucking white noise on the snare drum and just everything sounding extremely compressed. Um, and to answer your previous question, the, the oldest song on the record is uh, Soft as Emotion. Oh, one. I never would have guessed that. <laughs> yes, I made it that way. Uh, they, hey, you did a good job. You <laughs> fucking stumped me the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> clever, clever indeed. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, going to the, uh, back to the influences part. Cause I, I definitely caught a lot of that too. And many of the other things, especially with your voice, you played around with your voice quite a bit on this album. Uh, cause there's, uh, there's, again, there's moments of like that sort of synth pop kind of thing. There's also those like metal vocals. And then like, especially with like the eighties kind of metal vocals, the iron maiden, uh, kind of like, uh, like Motley Crue type of voice that you start mm. bringing in towards like, at least around the halfway point especially on cherry blossoms at night. That was, as soon as I noticed that, I was like, it was almost impossible not to notice from that point forward. And it's like, I don't think I heard this style of singing anywhere else on the album before that. Mm-hmm. Was that, was that intentional? Like, did you just start progressing forward into it as the album progressed? Or was it just like, you just felt like doing it at that moment? Uh, no, you're right, dude. Like um, I made a record specifically to piss off metalheads. <laughs> well, uh, as far as I'm concerned right now, you're failing, but that's, <laughs> I don't know how successful it's going to be with everybody else. But <laughs> Well, the whole track listing was kind of different last summer. I had like a completely different side two and then mm-hmm. uh, side one was already set up. So it was like, oh yeah, we're going to start off with like death metal kind of stuff. And then we're going to devolve into uh, the fucking, the dancey Ramstein, whatever the fuck you want to call mm-hmm. it, the black metal shit. And then gets even slower and then all of a sudden we're like oh there's synthesizers and then the whole (laughs) it just keeps kind of going off track and the vocals change for each song and then we get like all singing on the very Mm -hmm. end of it right so it's it's a complete uh juxtaposition upon itself it makes no sense but um it doesn't have to fuck it who gives a shit i sure as hell don't well i think it gives the album character in some in some way like it's unpredictable in many ways. And I know like many people, even in metal, they really enjoy that kind of like, you don't know where it's going to go next. Like the sort of unpredictability of it. Cause you could say like, it, like there's plenty of like great albums in metal that like do the same thing. You know where they're going. They're great albums, but they're also kind of predictable in where they're going. I, I didn't get that vibe with uh, this album. And obviously that was the intention apart from trying to piss off the metal community, which I, again, I think you're failing here, but I'm, I'm one man. I'm just going to keep on trying dude. <laughs> keep on trying. Maybe next album I'll, I'll succeed. Oh, All right. Yeah. So let's talk cherry blossoms at night a bit more. So Andrew, you seem to be doing that. Like you mentioned, this is a solo project. You seem to be doing like the majority of the heavy lifting with this album, uh, being credited from what I could tell in the promo here for vocals, for drums, bass, 
guitars, frog whistles, synths, banjos, <laughs> strings such as violin and cello, various horns including trumpet, trombone, clown horn, and French horn, the sound of a grand piano plummeting to the earth, and strange auxiliary instruments and percussion. Which, fun fact, only a handful of those is fake, and I don't think anybody will know which one. But you're also <laughs> not the only person working here. As uh, It is also credited for Spencer Hodge, who does some solo work on uh, Cherry Blossoms at Night, the title track, and also composed and produced Liberate, along with Curtis Vodka, which is the best name ever, by the way, who composed <laughs> and produced Spread. So there's a lot of collaboration going on, much more than would be for a one-man band. You said this is basically a solo band, but with that in mind, do you think this ended up uh, expanding more into like a group of people who are members for this project, or no? Do you still consider this a solo project? Oh, when I play live, I play by myself. I just put on a projector and uh, a microphone and a guitar and a trumpet sometimes. So that's <laughs> what it is right now. I don't know if I'm going to make it a full band. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm interested in doing that. But um, I'm actually trying to come up with a stage show right now that's not like a concert. It's more of a fucking... I want to play theaters. I don't want to play bars and venues, mm -hmm. you know? But, like, because that's where I come from. I come from the theater. And, the theater. Uh, that's right. That's right. I would like to do more of that, to be honest with you, because going to fucking shows and there's just drunk people. And I went to a fucking concert like a couple weeks ago, and it was it was a really good concert. It was uh, uh, Mismore and Buna, which are two bands I really like. And mm. people are just fucking talking, dude. And like, this is the kind of music you don't talk during. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, my God. Like if you go to a, a you go to a theater, people don't talk because they're paying attention. So, it's the kind of environment you know, for it too. Absolutely, yeah. But um, yeah, my boy Spencer, fucking, he dropped that song, and he's. Do you ever you ever go on Instagram and look at a New Metal Karate Society? You ever seen that one? I don't think I have. No. You should check that out. That's his. That's his shit. It's really New Metal funny. Karate Society. <laughs> okay. Really funny dude. And uh, then Curtis, where he's um, he's like a house kind of guy. He does uh, all sorts of interesting. Uh, music under the EDM umbrella, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, they're both people that I know from back home in Alaska. Um, I try to keep my collaborations Alaskan only. Right. Like playing with anybody else around the world. And that statement's completely false. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> well, yeah, dude. All right. So, well, well, it, it did say again, like Spencer uh, composed uh, Liberate. How much, uh, like, was that like, what, what do you, what did, what do you mean by compose? Did he write the entire song or was it like, did he compose a lot of the, uh, other stuff involved with it? Oh, uh, he just, uh, he had like a song that was two and a half minutes or something. And then I, uh, I liked it and he sent me the raw audio or whatever. And then I, you know, added an intro and first chorus, et cetera, kind of stuff. And then made it what it. <laughs> what you're listening to now mm -hmm. i i just put like some guitars on there but i mean that's pretty much all spencer all those sounds for sure yeah and curtis was the same thing for spread i think um that shit was pretty much like that sounds like just kind of a giant loop to begin mm -hmm. with and i i think i just made it like a slight bit longer than it was so there wasn't a lot of uh not a lot of uh customization yeah because that song ended up being about like five and a half minutes yeah yeah and that that's a fucking mp3 that slowed down too that's why it <laughs> sounds like shit <laughs> he, he lost the hard drive or something that song was on and i was like oh well 
I'll just layer it with a bunch of crap and nobody will know or care. <laughs> I'm not too picky when it comes to uh, recording environments. I think that's all horseshit. People trying to make mm-hmm. these crisp recordings and stuff. It's like, dude, let's make it, you know, let's just make it nasty. Let's make it nasty. Let's just get it dirty, okay? Let's just get in the mud, get, dude. Drop, drop it in the mud already. God damn. <laughs> it's got, just have it roll around in the mud with a pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my God. This is this is slowly falling apart and I love every second of this right now. Is it? It's like, because we're all like, let's get it dirty with the pigs. Like, that's what it's devolved <laughs> well, you to. you told me it was a goddamn comedy podcast. Podcast. Of course, like, and I love it. That's exactly what so I. That's what I'm funny. here for. It's exactly what I'm here for, and I love it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you. I feel like I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I'm biased, however, because I'm a total douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. I mean, this isn't a straight thrash metal record. I was what is expected. <laughs> Absolutely not thrash metal. Thrash metal. This Pardon? isn't. This isn't the Slayer Senpai. Is that what? <laughs> Uh, bro, I'm in Portland. We only do black metal and death metal around here, okay? We don't <laughs> pizza thrash crap or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Garbage, bro. All right, we're going to stop right there for now. That's part one of my interview with Andrew Stromstad of Box. And yeah, when I told him this was a comedy podcast before he came on, I didn't specify that he had to be cracking jokes, but boy, did he come on and fucking gave me a barrel of laughs throughout. That chaos, of course, continues in part two. So if you want to hear that, stick around for next week. Speaking of, let's wrap this up and tell you what's coming up next week. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. The Rain of Fire has begun, so before we get singed in the fires of the mosh pit, let's wrap this up with a quick look at what's up next. Box will join us again to continue our talk about that new album as well. We're looking at selling out in metal. Does it exist and what exactly is selling out? Use the hashtag MetalRobotSellout, that's going to get taken out of context, I know it, with your responses. All this and more next week. In the meantime, though, thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can follow the show on the internet, YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at the Metal Robot, Instagram at the dot metal robot. You can also check out everything Metal Robot on TheMetalRobot.com for videos, podcasts, press, and so much more. This episode, as always, produced by TheMetalRobot.com. This time, though, co-produced by my friend Anna. Appreciate the help. I'm Tom McKay, your host. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night. Thank you.